Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our study uh, on the family. And today, men, if I could have your attention for uh, the next few minutes, I'm going to address this message, and it's going to be for our men today. And if you are of the male gender, uh, then I'm going to share a sermon with you, especially if you are married today. And the title of the, the sermon is, Love Your Lady. And so you say, well, I'm single today. Does this message apply to me? Well, it may not apply to you now, but maybe in the future. So if you tuck this away and just say, you know what, I, I need to remember this. This is going to be an important message, and it is. Enjoying so much our Modern Family Vintage Values series. Appreciate Chad last week preaching on Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so it's a blessing uh, to be able to share with you. And I want to give you a couple of caveats, just a couple of disclaimers before I preach this message to men. Number one, I am not up here to berate or belittle or to just tell you how horrible we are as men and how terrible of a job that we're doing. I, that, is, that is not my job. And so uh, I, I am here primarily to preach God's Word and to give a word of affirmation and encouragement to those of you men who are really trying to do the right thing and really trying to walk with God and, and lead your families. Disclaimer number two is I am not a perfect man, not a perfect husband, not a perfect father, and so I, I speak on the authority of God's Word, and I am trying my best, but I have not arrived, and I still have a long ways to go, even in my own spiritual journey and pilgrimage of being the man of God that He wants me to be. Now, having said that, I am just excited about this passage of Scripture. The Bible has a lot to say about the husband-wife uh, relationship. If you'll remember in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, God created man and God created woman and it was his intention and his desire for a heterosexual union where man and woman come together in holy, somebody help me, in holy matrimony. And it's interesting as Paul and Jesus quote Moses in Genesis, they pick up on this theme and they say, and it is for this reason shall a man leave his mother and his father, leave that family unit, that homogeneous family unit, and then cleave unto his wife and therefore create another homogeneous unit, a family, and you have man and woman and procreation and children. You say, where did that come from? What an ingenious idea. Who thought of that? And that would be God. Now, Paul says... The analogy that best depicts Jesus Christ and his love for his church is the husband-wife relationship. I find that fascinating. It's not the man-and-man -man relationship. It's not a woman-and-woman -woman relationship. It's not even a, a father-and-a-son relationship or a mother-and-a-daughter relationship. But it is that beautiful, pristine picture of Jesus Christ, who is the bridegroom, and we are his bride, and we are united in holy matrimony or marriage, if you will, because once we come to God through Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are his bride. So whenever you talk about a heterosexual relationship and marriage between a man and a woman, you are on sacred ground because that is the one analogy that God has chosen and preordained to represent and to reflect the relationship that he has uh, with his children. 
I mean, even a brief perusal of Scripture, and you will find multiple references to this relationship. In fact, there is an entire book in the Bible dedicated to marital love and marital bliss. Would anybody dare to venture what the name of that book is? Song of Solomon. It's rated R, by the way, but go ahead and read it. It's, it's pretty graphic and pretty amazing. But it's that relationship, not between a man and a man, because that is most unnatural. I mean, even in the animal world, two male bulls don't get together. It's just unnatural. And even, even in any animal world, that, that just can, they cannot coexist and cohabitate because it would be therefore impossible to procreate and that race would die. And so here we are looking at this marital love, this marital bliss. Who created that? Well, God. He created a whole book about it in the book of Song of Solomon. Then I read in Proverbs so many references to marriage and to purity and, and sexual purity. And so those are all great. But the verse that I think is the primary text that God has given us whereby a man can treat his wife and a wife can reciprocate, reciprocate and treat her husband is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles today. Uh, we're going to read Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. But I want to walk you through this message as we continue our series on the family and how husbands ought to treat and how husbands ought to love their wives. And so I'll read Ephesians chapter 5. I'll begin in verse 25, and I believe it's a familiar passage of Scripture to, to most of you. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her, now the antecedent there for her would be the church. And we are referred to in the feminine, okay, we are the church, the bride of Christ. And Jesus did all this, he died for us so that he might present us to himself a Doxa church. Verse 27, that word glorious is also translated in the NIV as radiant. And the Greek word doxa, it's where we get the root etymology of the word doxology. And it means praise. And it means uh, glorious. It means bright and effervescent and radiant. And Jesus died for us so that he might cleanse us and prepare us for himself in heaven. We are this glorious, radiant church not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, isn't that interesting, verse 28? This transitory word, this transition word, so, is absolutely important. God is about to give us the counterpart of Jesus' divine love for us as his church, and he's about to take that and extrapolate from that this amazing uh, uh, analogy of the husband and the wife. You see, that's why evangelical Christians all over the world get very protective between the husband and wife relationship because when you tamper with that relationship, you tamper with the very doctrine of Christianity. Okay? So, he says... So husbands, 
You ought to love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes his flesh just as. Are you with me today? (laughs) So, just as, look at this, just as the Lord does his church. And so God has placed such a premium on the husband-wife relationship because, first of all, it's his, it's his deal. He created it, and furthermore, he used that deal to explain and illustrate the greatest love ever demonstrated, and that is when God gave his son Jesus to die for us, his church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, Paul says in verse 31, now you'll recognize this, Matthew 19, Jesus quotes this, it's Genesis chapter 2. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, okay? And the two shall become one flesh. And that is so beautifully and, and, and graphically demonstrated in the sexual union of a husband and wife. Because the two now have come together, and I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, that the only species that have sexual relations face-to-face are human beings. That, that's it. And there's a reason for that. There's that closeness. There's that proximity. That is, the two are becoming one. You say, who thought of that? That is absolutely amazing. Whoever thought of creating us in such a way that our greatest compliment would be of the opposite sex, that would be God. That would be God. It is His doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so we are joined to our wives, men, and the two now become one flesh. Paul says this is a great mystery. This analogy that I've been sharing with you about the husband and the wife being a corollary, if you will, being a divine illustration, if you will, of Jesus' love for his church. Paul is saying, listen, this is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. They never saw this, but you get to see this. Your eyes get to behold one of the most dynamic, divine metaphors and analogies that is known to man that God so loved us that he gave his son Jesus to die for us, and it is so depicted in that relationship between a husband and a wife. I know this is a mystery, Paul says, but I'm trying to explain to you that this is concerning Christ and his church. Nevertheless, (laughs) I love Paul. He's like, okay, I've been preaching long enough. Now, let, let me get back to what I'm originally meant to say. Okay, nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, men... So love your wife as you love yourself, and let the wife see that she uh, respects her husband. Now, underscore these two words, love and respect. These are the two critical foundational elements of a blessed, prosperous, happy marriage. Now, First of all, men, I think we have a tremendous responsibility before God to love our wives as Jesus Christ loved us. He loved us with a sacrificial love, a purifying love, a permanent love, an abiding love, a giving love. And we are to take that kind of love and we are to demonstrate that preeminently to 
that special lady in our lives that God has allowed us to marry. Now, there's a book written by this very title, Dr. Emerson Egerich, and it is an awesome book. And if, men, if you don't read another book this year, I would encourage you to read the book, Love and Respect. And it is a book on marriage, but it's more than that. In fact, somebody told me, they said, Pastor, I, I think you ought to read this book. I had never read it before. And they said, here's why. It is a great book on marriage. It will help you in your marital relationship, but it will also help you understand that mysterious phenomenon called the woman, okay? So I'm thinking, man, anything will help me understand the female gender and population. And it was so true because it opens up. In fact, Emerson uses this analogy. He says, women are different than men. Can I get an amen at least there? Are, are, you, are you out there? I can't tell if you're out there or not. There's lights. You're either listening really intently or you're sleeping profoundly. So anyhow, women look at things through a pink pair of, of glasses, okay? And everything they view is colored by pink because they are feminine. They are female. Now, men, we're totally different, strange creatures. We look at everything through what color lenses, anybody? Through blue. And everything is colored by the prism of blue. And so when the pink and the blue come together in holy matrimony, there are going to be some issues, friend. There are going to be some trouble going on in Dodge City. It's just the way it is. You got the pink clashing with the blue, and if they ever come together in marital happiness and joy, it is, it is just God saying, I can do this, I can bring you together, and it will be a blessed thing. So today, I, I just humbly come before you as a, as a man of God, as a husband, as a father. I know this is a lengthy introduction. Quite frankly, it's a lengthy sermon, but I think it is so important because if there was ever an issue that needs to be addressed in America in 2013, it would be the relationship between a husband and a wife. Because there is no institution under attack like this institution. And so I hope you are hearing in my voice today that there, there is nothing, um, you know, um, accusatory or, or, or mean-spirited. Or I am a preacher. I have a responsibility to teach this word, and I am going to do it to the best of my ability to encourage, but also to affirm the sacred teachings of the Bible. Before I get into the, the, the real heart of the sermon, let, let me share this with you. First of all, this message will be, in many ways, it will be very cerebral. It will be very cognitive. I will speak to you on a very doctrinal, orthodox level, okay? Okay. Now, for some of you, man, that floats your boat. That gets you more excited. You'd rather parse a Greek verb than eat a, a, a delicious meal. I'm telling you, some of you are just wired that way. Give me the Greek, brother. Give me the history. Give me the etymology and the syntax and the derivation and the etymology. And, and I will just think that will be an awesome sermon, and I will rise up and call you blessed. And then there's the other percentage of you who will go, I don't care about any of that. Just tell me how this thing works. I just want to get in the car, turn it on, and drive, drive, drive. Just tell me how this thing called marriage works. Now, I can't go to the practical and to the utilitarian until I first share with you the basic found rock doctrinal reasons we believe what we believe. But before I do any of that, 
I want to begin with point number one, and it goes something like this. Men, receive God's love for you. And all the times that I've taught on this or lectured on this, I, I quickly run to man's responsibility, and I start getting after it. But before I do that, I, I want you to look at verse 25 where it says, Men, love your wives, look at this, just as Christ loved you. There are some men here today who need to receive the love of God. You cannot be that husband or that father. You cannot be that citizen that God wants you to be until you first receive His forgiveness and receive His love. Now, some of you were raised in a very difficult childhood like me. And many of you men think you have to earn God's favor, like, like I thought for years, and I still slip into that sometimes. I still slip into that trying to please the, the father of my adolescence. And so I have to be reminded, and men, I hope to remind you that that's not the way God is at all. You, you just come to Him and say, God, I have sinned, and God, I need your forgiveness. Would you forgive me and cleanse me and, uh, and, and just allow me to be your child? And God will say, absolutely, and welcome to the family of God. So, men today, can I just stop here and just say, would you receive the love that God has for you? He loves you. Hey, He created you just the way you are. You, you are very prized, and you are very special in His eyes. He gave you everything He gave you from head to toe because that's what He wanted you to have. He gave you a soul. He gave you a spirit. He gave you a body. He gave you a capacity to know Him and surrender to Him. So men, please listen to me carefully. Oh men, listen. Receive the love of God that He has for you. He loves you. He cherishes you. And when you receive His love and His forgiveness of sin... I tell you, then you are enabled, you are energized, you are able to be all that God has created you to be. I don't want you to miss that. Verse 25, receive God's love uh, for you. Okay, here we go. Number two, men let us love as Christ has loved us. I want to walk you through beginning in verse 25. Again, this is going to be a very theological uh, message and then at the end, it's going to be highly practical, okay? Now, I could spend a lot of time and just give you the practical, but I really believe it is my responsibility to teach God's Word. So let's begin in verse 25. Husbands, agape your gune. Uh, agape your wife. Now, the word is love, and it's a present active imperative, which means... We are to keep on continually in the Greek tense. We are to actively. It's not something, it's not a subjective thing. It is an active thing. It's not an inactive thing. It is a proactive thing. We as husbands ought to love our wives even as Christ loved the church. You say, well, how did Jesus love the church? Well, he died for her. He gave everything he had for us, the church. And in order for us to mimic and imitate and embody that love that Christ had for us, we have to be willing to sacrifice, to lay aside our rights, to lay aside our demands, and to yield to our wives that kind of love, that kind of preference, that kind of honor that Jesus Christ himself gave for you and me. This is a powerful thing. And I would say it's an impossible thing 
unless, first of all, you have received God's love for you. Now, when you've received God's love for you, and you have experienced grace, and you know how far God has brought you, then you are very, very quick to give that same grace and that same love to your spouse. Now, there is a song that's come out, and I just, man, I just love it. It's called, it, the band is called For King and Country. And there is a line in this song, it's so powerful, and it graphically describes this quality of love called agape love. Listen to the song, it goes like this. So let my life be the proof, God, of your love for me. Let my love look like you and what you're made of and how you lived and how you died. Love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. So let my life be the proof, the proof, Lord, of your love. It's not a touchy, feely, sensational Love on a, on a just a biblical level means to sacrifice. It means to, to give. Okay, verse 26 and 27. I'll just go through this briefly. I preached on this at Great Hills before, but I, I want to just recapitulate what I said. Just briefly give this to you and summarize it. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. In other words, Jesus died for us so that he would cleanse us protect us, purify us. And remember, husbands, we are, to kind, we are to have this kind of purifying, cleansing love for our brides. Now, this is where it gets a little, little heated, so bear with me. Men, do you live a life, a spiritual life in your home? You are so close to God and you are so in his word that there is a spiritual protection over your bride. That you love the Lord so much that you have created this atmosphere for spirituality. And, and you have created an atmosphere where your wife watches you so love God and worship God. She says, the, the greatest man in my life is so deeply in love with Jesus Christ. It, it makes it makes me want to love Jesus Christ. Then you are beginning to fulfill verse 26. You are creating a washing, a cleansing spiritual environment that fosters this kind of love for God from your wife that God intends. The interesting word there, washing, that God would wash us by the water of his word. There's only one other time lutron is used in the Greek New Testament. He said, Lucy, who? what are you saying up there, brother? What are you talking about? Lutron is the Greek word translated washing. It's used in Titus 3, 5 where it talks about the, the, the Holy Spirit in regeneration who, who washes over us and, and he cleanses us of all of our sins. That is a powerful word and a great analogy. And it would go something like this. Men, let's love our wives like Jesus loved us. He, he loves us with a sacrificial love. He loves us with a cleansing, purifying love. In order that, in verse 27, Jesus might present us to the Father in heaven above with a radiance 
a gloriousness about us, and we so love our families, men, and we so love our wives, and we are so in tune with God, and we are worshiping God, and we are in His Word, and we are living for Him. We are creating this cleansing, this washing. We are creating this holistic, powerful, spiritual environment where not only our wife, but our precious children, they are able to grow, and they are able to flourish because you and me are men of God. We are in the Word. We're in the church of God. We're on our knees, and we've created created this environment for the Spirit of God just to reign in our homes. That's, that's what the Word is telling us. So husbands, verse 28, we ought to love our wives like God loves us. And then he gives this great word here. He says, for nobody ever hated his own flesh, verse 29. And, and by the way, masochism and mutilation and those kind of things, that's very unnatural. There's something twisted in the mind of man who would want to hurt or who would want to cut themselves or bruise themselves and, and live some kind of ascetic masticism. It's, that's not natural. Just like homosexuality is unnatural, it is unnatural for you to try to hurt yourself or to hurt someone else. God didn't create you like that. God created you to nourish your life, to, to take... In, in fact, look at verse 29. Nourish and cherish are nursery words. These words are used in the context of providing for a child, feeding a child, nurturing a child, protecting a, a child. I came across a good quote here. It says, both of these words appear in an ancient papyra, not, not scripture, but an ancient papyra where they are nourishing and cherishing and clothing is the word there. And within the flow of Ephesians 5, there is an inner appropriateness in the husband tenderly cherishing, nurturing his wife because they have, in fact now, become one, one flesh. And so let's keep going. Verse 30 through 33, the ideal here is this permanence of relationship. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Therefore, we leave mothers and, and fathers, and we're joined to our wives, and the two now become one. Now, what I believe he's getting at here is, as he quotes Genesis 2.23 and Genesis 2.24 and Genesis uh, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 31, he is getting at this, you know, Adam is asleep, and, and God forms from the rib of man, he creates woman, and, and now we are integrally and eternally linked, and we are together, and especially a husband and wife, you're no longer two separate entities, you are now one. And just as you would nourish and feed and take care of your physical body, you do that now for your wife because, well, she's you. She is a part of you. She, she complements and completes uh, you. The idea of permanence here is in this word, Proskalao. It means to glue together and cement together. Did you see that in verse 31? And they shall be joined. Proskalao. It means to cement and glue together. Now listen to me carefully. This is why the Bible says in Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce. And the reason he hates divorce is because you and I have humanly, we have broken something. That God never intended to be broken. God intends this relationship to be permanent. 
Now, many of you, and in fact, everybody in my family, immediate family, has been divorced and remarried at least once, one twice, one three times. And I'm very familiar with this life. And I want you to know that there is forgiveness with God. And if you come to God and you say, God, we blew it, and we're sorry, would you forgive us? God will forgive you, okay? I'm telling you, God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. In fact, one of the best marriages that I know is one that it is a failed marriage at first, and then they remarried, and man, they got it right this time. And I'm grateful to God to see that. But be careful if you are married and you're considering divorce because what you're doing, you're going to separate and you're going to divide that which God intended for permanency. We talked about the the idea of the great mystery, so we'll move on from that to verse 33 and we'll wrap this section up. For the fourth time, Paul says, Men, let each one of us love our wives like he loves himself. You say, well, Brother Danny, I'll be honest with you. I haven't a clue how to do that. When I got married, I didn't have any premarital counseling. In fact, I didn't have love and respect. I didn't have a a how-to guide. It's kind of like my wife and I having this child. We're looking at it like it's an alien. We We have no idea. We know where you came from, child, but we have no earthly idea what to do with you. Are you hungry? Talk to us. We we don't know what to... Have you ever felt that way as a parent? Have you ever felt that way as a new husband or as a new wife? Well, I think the next few words I'm going to share with you, I, I think and I pray that they are highly helpful as I share these, these practical dimensions of how husbands uh, can love their, their wives. Now, I'm, I'm one of those who believe if you, uh, if you read something and you're going to share it extensively, then you need to give credit where credit's due. So I'm going to go ahead and give credit to Dr. Emerson Egerix. And he has this awesome, and I think it's in your, your outline. Do you see your outlines we provided for you? Uh, if you'll take those out, I would encourage you to take them out. It's the bulletin insert or the worship guide insert. And there is an acrostic there for us men that will give us some tangible ways to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And Dr. Emerson says you can do this with the word couple, okay? C-O-U-P-L-E. Do you all have those? Just make sure. Did, did you receive that? Okay, great. You have them. So, so, far, so much for the mystery. I mean, we've already given it to you, but I'm going to try to expound upon it and explain it. Okay, first of all, the C is for closeness. And, and he says, you know, in, in the female DNA, with all of her pink-colored glasses, a woman enjoys closeness. They want to have proximity. They want to be uh, close to you. And he, he gives this great illustration, analogy. He said when his daughter was four years of age, he went to her bedroom, and it was pitch black, and he got in the bed with her, and he, he the, the dad, Dr. Emerson, is talking to his four-year-old Joy. And as they were talking, the daughter told her dad, Dad, look at me. How does she... How does she know to do that? And then she took her little hands and put them on her dad's face and in the dark turned his face toward her face. And you know what he said? He said, I have two sons and my sons have never done that to me. My sons have never taken me by the face and said, look at me. And you know why? Because God made us different. And women, 
We, they want to be close. They want us to, to look at them. They want, they want to have our undivided attention. So men, I think if we're going to love our wives like God wants us to, we got to be close with them. we got to hold their hand. And we got to open the door for them. we got to listen to them when they speak. And i got a good word for you. And this is a hard word. I want to read it to you. You may be tempted to say, well, I will start doing this for her when she starts respecting me. But it doesn't work like that. We have to take the higher ground. Because we are the spiritual priests and pastors of our home. Great word from Brother Chad last week. Uh, you in your home are the primary influencers. I am a tertiary, uh, secondary influence. And if you wait to get to church to get all of your spirituality and your influence, you, your home will fall apart. So you dads, you've got to take this leadership mantle by the reins. And okay, I agree with him. First of all is C. And it stands for closeness. O is for openness. He says, um, you know, when men first uh, start dating their future wives, they are very open with them. And they spend lots of time opening up and sharing and communicating because, men, we have an ulterior purpose. We want to win her over because when we get on one knee and say, will you, we do not want her to say no. Okay, so man, we're gonna put on the charm and we're gonna woo her and we're gonna. Oh, you want to talk? Oh, yes, honey, I'll talk to you for upteen hours a day. Let's just talk, talk, talk. And we do that, and we're very open and we're very vulnerable. And some of you men are going, "Yeah, you're right, brother." But once we got married, I just thought we didn't have to do that anymore. Whoops. But we still have to do that. We still have to be open and and, and talking. He writes this good word. He said. The man didn't understand that his openness during courtship was spelling love to his future wife in big letters and that she was being energized beyond words by his transparent talk. I think if I could just give a personal example of my own life, my own marriage, the greatest aspect of my marriage with Ashley is when we talk and we communicate. Um, I'm finding over the last two and a half years, 90% of what we talk about is Great Hills Baptist Church. It's a phenomenon. It's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I'll get up in the morning early, and I drink my coffee, and I'm ready to go to work like you men are, and work 10, 11, sometimes 12 hours a day, and I'm honored to do that. I, it, it, I'm just slow. It takes me that long to prepare, and I just have lots to do, but sometimes I'm late. Sometimes I won't get to work till like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and I feel a little bit guilty about that, but not too much because I just spent the last 30 minutes talking to my wife. And I think what Great Hills needs more than anything else is a pastor who has a healthy family. That's, that's, just, that's just free for you. So U stands for understanding. C is closeness, O is openness, and U is understanding. <laughs> he says here, the bottom line is, don't try to fix your wife. Listen to your wife. When I was reading this, I was reminded of another book I read a number of years ago called The Seven Habits of Highly uh, Effective People by Stephen Covey. One of his habits reads this. Seek to understand before you attempt to be understood. And that is a good word for us. I'll step away from Dr. Emerson here for a moment. When I was... Uh, in in uh, South Asia, almost said the word. 
I, uh, I tell you, when you fly for uh, 100,000 hours, you got lots of time on your hands. So I finished two books and started another book. And one book that I read, and I'm so glad one of the deacons in this church loved me enough to give me this book. Because this book is hard to read. It is a book for pastors. It's called Dangerous Calling. And I tell you, it was very, very convicting. And Paul David Tripp, who wrote the book, and, um, and, and, and when I first started reading, I said, well, why did this deacon give me this? Does he think I'm just kind of messed up? Well, maybe he does. I don't know, but he gave it to me, and I read it, and I loved it. And it just, it just spoke to me profoundly. In the book, he talks about his marriage and how, by the way, many pastors, if not most pastors' marriages are in trouble. Did y'all know that? 70 to 80 percent of women surveyed said, I wish my husband would do anything besides pastor a church. Because there's unbelievable expectations and pressures on that man of the cloth. It's just a sign of the times. It's just the way it is. He said we were this close to getting separated. Luella, my wife, would come to me and try to talk to me. And he said, I was such an angry man. I was so angry at life, at the people, at the church and ministry. I was angry with myself. He said, oh, I was successful. Let me tell you, I was at the top of my class in seminary. Our Christian school was flourishing. Our church was growing. He says, but I was an angry man. And every time she talked to me about my anger, I would just rebuke her and say, woman, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a man of God. (laughs) One day, he made the mistake of saying, You know, 95% of the women in that church would love to have me as their husband. To which she responded, I'm in the 5%. (laughs) I love it. And so he goes on to say, what I was doing was not healthy. I was seeking to be understood but not seeking to understand. And he takes this book, and I couldn't hardly put it down because I I read it, and I am one of these guys. I am one of these pastor people, and I am reading this, and I'm just digesting this. And he he would agree. He would say, listen, you've got to to open up. You've got to be close, and you've got to seek to understand. Then P is this. It's called peacemaking. Now, I give you all this. Some of you men are going, well, I'm not going to have to read it. You just gave it all to me. But P is for peacemaking. He says, this is the most important part of my book. Peacemaking. He says, the two most powerful words a masculine male could ever verbalize to his wife are these words, I'm... Man, the answer is sorry. Okay, let's try it again. The two most powerful words that a masculine male can verbalize to his bride are these words, I'm sorry. Or like some of y'all in the font say, I'm 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 sorry. I I just can't get it out. And listen to what he says. For any husband who wants fewer ongoing arguments, the path to peace is plain. He must learn to simply say, Honey, I'm sorry, will you... Forgive me, I did not mean to do that. Do this, even if in your mind most of the guilt or the blame is on her. Still do it. The percentage of guilt is not the issue. Love and respect always is. Great word. 
And I like this word. He says, um, conflict is not a sign of a bad marriage, but a normal one. I hope that encourages some of you. Conflict is not necessarily that something's wrong. Conflict may, be, may mean you're on the precipice of getting things right. I'm almost finished, and thank you for your attentiveness. Thank you for your listening. L is for loyalty. He says husbands are to be committed to their wives and never cheat on them, never depart from them. Never, we are never to view pornography because that is one of the grossest ways of cheating on our marriages, cheating on our mates. He says we are to be like Dr. Robert McKilkin, who was a great president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. For 22 years, he, he led that school, and they did great things. He is married 42 years to Muriel, and he one day went to the, uh, uh, to, to the board there, and, uh, and he says, trustees, I am resigning my position. I know some would say I'm at the very height and the very peak of my career, and I'm very grateful for the success that our school is having, but I am, I am resigning my position today. Because Muriel is fighting Alzheimer's, and she just cannot live without me. I have to be with her 24-7, and so I resign. He said, he wrote a book about this, and if you're interested, the title of the book is A Promise Kept. And he said, you know, I was unprepared for the avalanche of response to this book based on the premise that I resigned my position so that I can take care of my wife. He says, well, it was really an easy decision because 42 years ago, I said, honey, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, I am your man, and I'm going to stay with you, and I'm going to help you. He said, I tell you, this story has been told over and over, and a doctor came up to Dr. McMilkin, and he said these words. She said these words to him. And guys, I'm glad you're sitting down to hear this quote. Almost all women stand by their men, but very few men stand by their women. Guys, can we be the exception? Can we be those people like Jesus loving the church with a sacrificial love, a purifying love, a permanent love, a cherishing kind of love, so that... We complete this couple. I mean, that we are close and that we are one and that we are loving and we are sacrificial and we are, we are open and we are making peace. You say, well, what does E? What does E stand for? And this word stands for esteem. And the word esteem just means to applaud. It means to build up. And we'll close with this passage of Scripture. Proverbs 31, 28, 29 says, And her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband does too. And he praises her. And then it's in quotation. Here's how he praises her. He gives this word of, of affirmation. It, it is a verbal proclamation of adoration and praise for the special lady in his life. That would be his wife. And he says, honey, many women, they've done well. Many daughters have done well. But you excel them all, and I am so honored and so privileged to be your husband. Now, I know very few women who would have a hard time with that and submitting to that kind of leadership. 
And so, men, I, I share this message with you again, and the two caveats, the disclaimers. I hope uh, this message does not come across as, you know, inimical, which means harsh, or polemical, which just means I'm just, I'm just, men, you're a bunch of sorry reprobates, and you just, boy, you, you're just terrible. I, I'm not saying that. And I know maybe your ribs are bruised a little because your wife has been giving you, giving you that deal, you know. And ladies, next week's for you. So I just want to encourage you, you know, to, to come. And we're going to share some biblical and hopefully some practical words of advice for you. So um, first of all, men, God bless you. To be a godly man in the 21st century, that's, going, that's, a, that's a prodigious task. But it's not impossible. And with you leading out, first of all, surrendering your, yourself to Christ. Now, I'm not talking about praying a prayer and, and getting baptized and, and your life not changing. I'm talking about giving your life to Jesus Christ. It's called lordship. Surrender your will to his. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. God, you are the potter. I am the clay. So mold me, shape me. Break me. God, do whatever you need to do to me. I'll receive you as my king. And when you do that, then and only then are you now in a position to be able to lead your wife and to lead your family. Now, you may be here today and you're sitting next to your bride and, and that is fine. And I'm not asking for a public altar call. I'm, I'm not. I'm not asking you to all come in mass and let's just fill up the altar. I, I'm really not. In fact, I would, I would like it more if you're just where you are, if you just reach over and take your wife by the hand, would you do that right now? Just, just reach out and take her by the hand. Some of you single adults are saying, this is making me feel awkward. I don't have that person to reach out and grab his hand or her hand. Well, maybe one day, you know, maybe one day that's, that's going to happen. And, and God's perfect will and perfect timing, it, it, it will happen. Don't rush it. I'm looking forward to preaching a message to our single adults in a few weeks. I really am. But, but for now, if men could just reach over and take your wife by the hand. And I'm just going to say a prayer for you. I'm going to say a prayer for me, okay? Would you bow your heads with me? With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. First of all, men, I just want you to know I'm, I am for you. I am with you. If there's never been a time in your life where you yielded yourself to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now. Would you just say, God, I need your help. I give you my life. I receive your forgiveness of sins. Lord, I believe on you and I repent of my sins. I'm so sorry. Jesus Christ, be the Lord and the King. Be the master of my life. And now, men, with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, as you take your wife by the hand today, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray for me. And say, oh God, would you please help us? God, this woman's hand that I am holding, whether it's been for a year or 60 years, God, she is my bride, and she is the one that you have chosen for me, and I love her dearly. God, please forgive me. 
where I have not been the man and I have not been the husband, God, that I need to be. I have violated our covenant. I violated our marriage through a series of sins, God, and I just ask you to please forgive me. And Lord, I love this woman. I cherish her, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would help me love her like you love me. Help me, God. Please help me, God. Sacrifice for her. Put her first. Serve her. Create a spiritual climate in our home that causes her to flourish and grow. Oh, God, we need you. And we ask for your help. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.